A purple and gold good day to you, and welcome into the JMU Sports Update Podcast. It's presented by United Bank with absolutely free checking. I'm Kurt Dudley, Director of Broadcast Services and the all-sports voice of the Dukes. Thank you for listening to this Thursday, February 11th edition. Well, the time has come, and JMU Athletics is about to venture into one of the most concentrated stretches of sports activity. Once the school year, and most often even before classes start in the fall, the Dukes get into competition, and for the next nine months, something is always happening. What's happening this spring? Everything that usually goes on during the spring season. Men's and women's golf and tennis, outdoor, track and field, lacrosse, baseball and softball, those sports begin as swimming and diving, indoor track and field, and men's and women's basketball start to wind down. That will be the same over the next several weeks. The biggest difference is interlacing with all those sports are the typical fall sports, cross country, field hockey, men's and women's soccer, volleyball, and of course, football. That being said, I don't know if we can deliver news on every sport every week on the update version of the JMU Sports Podcast, but we plan to cover quite a bit. And we do cover quite a bit today as we get started. News and notes, basketball talk with Tucker Stunts and Noah Ziegler, Allie Barefoot talks with all-time JMU women's basketball shot blocker and current graduate assistant coach Kayla Cooper-Williams, and Carter Inslee takes a look at JMU football foe William & Mary. The Dukes will play the Tribe twice this spring and once in the fall after not playing the Tribe at all during the calendar year 2020, as there was no college football for the Dukes last fall. And we'll wrap things up with a conversation between Charles Vera and Tom Judge of the JMU men's soccer program, recently drafted in the MLS. Good insight perspective from Tom as he goes into his final season as a Duke. That's all coming up today on this podcast. Let's kick things off by diving into the pool, if you would, as freshman Cameron Green and Lexi Lehman are respectively the CA Swimmer and Diver of the Week following their stellar collegiate debuts January 30th against Marshall at Savage Natatorium, home of the Dukes. Green opened her collegiate career with a victory as part of the Dukes winning 400-yard medley relay. Her leadoff leg clocked at 55.66 seconds, breaking the pool record for the 100-yard backstroke that was previously held by Bonnie Zhang with a time of 55.88. Green also collected wins in the 200 backstroke and the 200-yard individual medley as well as a second-place finish. Lehman won the one-meter diving with an NCAA zone qualifying tally of 280.12. She finished second on the three-meter with a score of 268.35. That was 12 points away from getting a double dip on qualification in that meet. On to the basketball court, where sophomore Kiki Jefferson posted a career-high 29 points Wednesday, but Towson's hot shooting and the number three score in the country lit it up for 31 points. That's Keona Jeter as the uh, Towson Tigers earned a split with the Dukes during the home-and-home home series this year, 83-74 yesterday, the final. Uh, that's Wednesday at CQ Arena. The Dukes falling to 10-7, and 6-4 and four in the Colonial. Uh, they did jump out to a 16-5 lead, but the Tigers used a 14-0 run to bridge the first and second quarters to take control. We'll have more on that game in just a moment with Tucker and Noah. And JMU overcame a sluggish opening half Tuesday evening, coming out of the break with new energy on defense and better energy on the glass as well as the Dukes posted a 70-61 road win over Elon in CAA men's play as the Dukes improved to 6-1 and in the league. That's the first time they've had that record since 1993-94 when Lefty Drizel was the head coach. That was the same year Kent Coluco hit the famous shot at the buzzer to bring the Dukes all the way back against Old Dominion to claim the CAA title and their first CAA 
automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. The Dukes against Elon outscored the Phoenix in the second half 43-29 and had a 28-19 advantage off the boards. Matt Lewis battled through double teams once again. He picked up 22 points in that win, also six rebounds, two assists, and a steal. He hit for 20-plus points for the 40th time in his 111 games as a Duke. He also eclipsed the 1,900 mark for career points and will take 1,903 into this weekend's home games against reigning CA champion Hofstra. Those games are Saturday and Sunday, 2 o'clock both days. Both games can be heard on the JMU Glow Fiber Broadcast Network with Dave Thomas. A subscription to Flow Sports or Flow Hoops will also allow you to see both those games online. And the TV coverage, NBC Sports Washington for Saturday's game and My Valley in the Central Shenandoah Valley of Virginia for Sunday's game. Again, both those games do tip off at 2. We'll take a little further look as Noah and Tucker will join us after this break. More basketball coming up next here on the JMU Sports Update podcast. At United Bank, we wonder why pay for things that you could get for free. Take our absolutely free checking. There's no minimum balance, no monthly fees, unlimited check writing, no per check fee, a free United Visa check card, free online banking and bill pay, plus free e-statements. And these are just some of the features. Yeah, we think it's pretty good too. So why would you pay when you could get absolutely free checking from United Bank at your service? $50 minimum deposit to open. Member FDIC. United Bank says, go Dukes. All right. Uh, welcome back to another JMU Sports Update podcast with myself, Tucker Stunts, and Noah Ziegler. Getting into some basketball games that happened today, this past weekend, and this upcoming weekend. Starting off with the women's basketball team who took two wins away from the doubleheader against Elon this past weekend and then had another game today. Noah, what did you see from the weekend that you liked? Yeah, we finally saw JMU women's basketball get that sweep. It seems like they were always winning the first game and then falling in the second game. This time they finally did it against a team that they failed to sweep once already. We've seen Madison Green further herself into or further kind of cement herself in the starting lineup. Uh, Madison Green having a 18 point performance against Elon in the first game. And then the second game, she followed it up with seven points and three different players had 14 points, Rain Tucker, Jemiah Hazel and Kiki Jefferson and Kiki Jefferson again, just doing it all. But, Jemiah winning CAA Rookie of the Week for a second consecutive time shows just how much work she put in against Phoenix over the weekend. And it, it was a it was a deserved sweep because they definitely were searching for that for a while and it finally came and definitely a deserved for Shauna Regan's crew. Yeah, the Dukes after that game moved to 10 and 6 overall. They were also six and three in the CAA at that point until today's game. Obviously, like you said, congratulations to Jemiah Hazel for those two weeks in a row as the CAA rookie of the week. And, um, yeah, obviously they came into today's game. Wasn't as, wasn't as expected, but it was a 74 to 83 loss to Towson, who is now on a five game winning streak in the women's CAA. The Tigers are 10 and three overall and they're five and one in the CAA. It looked to me like JMU had a great start. They came out to a 16 to five lead early today, but Towson quickly closed that gap before the end of the first quarter when it was 16 to 14 and then it looks like the rest of the game just kind of started to go Towson's way. It looked like they were knocking down shots. Um, overall, they split the series with Towson, so 1-1. And uh, this team is currently sitting fourth in the CAA. A lot of room to work, but got to start getting these CAA games in if we want to see the Dukes on top again. Yeah, Towson's definitely going to be a team that will find itself as one of the remaining team, the few remaining teams in the CAA come tournament time. And JMU should as well. So this is definitely a good game for them to kind of get used to that 
playoff, that postseason format. Kiki Jefferson led the Dukes with 29 points and 10 rebounds, a nice double-double performance, and going 10 for 10 from the charity stripe. But it was matched and done a little bit better by Keona Jeter on Towson with 31 points, four rebounds, and three assists. So obviously Jeter going off, uh, also going 6 of 13 from downtown, which is insane, and that'll most of the time that'll help a team win a game. And obviously Towson had a couple of supplemental scoring from Aaliyah Nelson. She had 13 points. Uh, Siobhan Smith had 10 and a couple of nine, eight, seven point performances. But for the Dukes, it seemed like they really did have it. And like you said, they started off well. It just seemed like maybe they ran out of gas for a little bit or they just couldn't figure things out. And Towson really took control in the middle parts of the game. And Jamie couldn't really figure it out until the until it was too late. And they were able to get it back to within double or within single digits, but Obviously, a, a disappointing loss, but uh, a game that they're gonna that's gonna prepare them come postseason time and come when it's time for March Madness. Exactly, I think that this game will kind of inspire the girls to you know get back out there and take this as you know, a little chip on your shoulder to get back out there and win the rest of these conference games. The Dukes were slated to visit the Pride of Hofstra this weekend in Hempstead, New York. Unfortunately, those games were postponed on Wednesday morning. So the next game for the Lady Dukes will be against UNCW at the Atlantic Union Bank Center on Tuesday, February 16th. All right, so switching out to the men's side of basketball, the JMU men's basketball Dukes defeated Elon 70-61. to uh, Another good performance from the dual-headed uh, machine of Matt Lewis and Votto Morris. Matt Lewis with 22 points and six rebounds. Votto with 17 points and six rebounds. And obviously those two are just leading the charge for this JMU team who finds itself a half game out of first place of the CAA, or at least a tie with it. They would have to, they would be tied with Northeastern, a team they've split a series with, but they beat Elon sweeping the season series. And obviously another good performance for the Dukes. Um, Justin Amati with seven points, seven rebounds, Julian Wooden with four points and nine rebounds. So pretty decent performance. And obviously for Elon, they also had a, a really good outing from Simon Wright, who went off five to seven for three. He had 17 points. That was key for Elon staying within reach. They actually had a lead for quite some time, but JMU again, a good nine point win. And the more of these wins that they grind out and do you see the confidence that comes from these wins? Tucker, it, it feels like they're just getting more and more confident as every game happens. And we'll talk in a, in a couple of seconds about this Hofstra series and how big this is, but the more wins this team gets under its belt, that the more confident they feel. And it's it's coming at a perfect time in February as we kind of get closer to March. Yeah, I completely agree. Seeing that just one conference loss is huge for the Dukes right now. Obviously, a lot of different guys have been getting in the mix. They've been sorting out, kind of switching up the lineups a little bit. I heard Coach Mark Byington say that the starting lineup is never really 100% set. They're still trying to figure everything out with the team. Obviously, there's postpones every week different guys who match up where they do against these different teams. And yeah, like you said, the Deuce right now, 11 and five overall, six and one in the CAA, big, big series coming up this weekend with Hofstra right now, 12 and seven overall, eight and four in the CAA. And I'm excited to see what happens because this is some of the best men's basketball we've seen at JMU since in our time here. And I think a lot of fans are starting to jump on it. I think a lot of people are getting behind this team because they're in a, they're in a serious spot to, take the CAA if they keep this winning mentality up. Mm -hmm. it, it's definitely been like that. I, I definitely agree on the front that everyone's just kind of been, they've been waiting for this, for the men's basketball team to put the pieces together. It feels like for years they've had the pieces that just never really fit. 
And now there's a lot of interest around this team because of how good they are doing in a year where it has been, by all means, I think everyone would understand if maybe, okay, it's a coach in its first year, in his first year, the pandemic's going on. It's, you know, it's understandable that there would be some struggles, but it, it really seems like, and like you said, 11 and five, six and one, and they're taking every roadblock they have in stride and they're doing such a good job of kind of just maintaining this. And Mark Byington has done such a good job in his first season as head coach. And yeah, like you said, again, they're just within reach of the CAA and again, against Hofstra who Hofstra is one of the best programs in the CAA. They're going to be wanting to say, Hey, look, maybe we come in and play spoiler because Jimmy's riding high. Hofstra is definitely going to want to play spoiler and say, we're also still contending in the CAA because they could have a shot to pull within a couple games of first place. They're sitting in an eight and four conference record. So they've played a little bit more. They've had the benefit. They've had 12 games in the CAA. That is the most out of any team that has played in the conference. But if JMU can get a couple of wins here, that's huge, not only for this season, but it just shows how far this program has come in such a crazy year. Yeah, just a little history check for you guys. The Dukes are 13-22 and 22 all-time against Hofstra, dating all the way back to 2002. JMU has also lost their last three that they played against Hofstra. But this game, when I was doing some research, I see this almost this series is kind of a battle of some CAA superstars. Obviously, Matt Lewis currently leads the CAA in scoring with 20.6 per game. He, is, he just beat 1,900 career points at JMU. And I'm sure if he keeps this shooting percentage up, keeps doing what he knows how to do, we'll see that hit 2,000 by the end of the season, maybe even in a couple weeks. But And then obviously the guy right behind Matt Lewis in scoring is Hofstra's senior guard, Jalen Ray, averaging almost 18 points per game. So there's two big-time players in the CAA who are going to get to go head-to-head this weekend. And it's I think it's going to be up to a lot of the guys that complement Lewis and have jumped in the scoring mix you know, having pretty big breakout games in these past couple of weeks to just make sure that the Dukes are playing the game they've been playing, obviously coming off five straight wins. Obviously there's something going right. They're playing with a offensive mentality. And I think we're looking for some really good games, although the odds might not be in JMU's favor. These are going to be some serious conference matchups and I can't wait to watch them. Mm -hmm. Well, I mentioned earlier with the women's that games against Towson or for them, at least prepares them for March. Well, games against Hofstra for the men's are definitely going to prepare them against March. In years past, we've seen Hofstra's Justin Wright Foreman, who, who's been one of the nation's best scorers in Division I college basketball. He's now in the NBA. But now we see Jalen Ray kind of take over that scoring lead for Hofstra, who's coached by Joe Mahalik, one of the better, best coaches in the CAA. Uh, obviously, Hofstra has a lot of talent on their team. Tariq Coburn is also a very good player. He's been there. It seems like he's been there forever, Hofstra. He averages 15.2 points per game. But, again, this is this is just a huge series for JMU. Definitely one that it's going to allow them to kind of figure out, okay, how can we best prepare ourselves for the conference tournament? Because it, it, it's in a few weeks, and March is, it, March is still a little bit away, but that's coming very soon. And, you know, that's, that's going to be a good chance. You, you, all of a sudden, you see JMU put together a nice run and they find themselves in the CAA championship. That mean, I mean, li- quite literally, that means they're a game away from the NCAA tournament. And can you imagine if all of a sudden JMU under, in their first season of, under Mike Byington reaching the first NCAA tournament since 2013, that'd be pretty impressive. But of course that's, that's way ahead of ourselves and a lot of good things have to happen, but I think they've proven so far that it's not impossible. 
Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. This They've shown that they're one of the most competitive teams right now, especially in the CAA. And I know other teams in the CAA have them on their list saying that we have to get ready for the Dukes at JMU. Hofstra, on the other hand, has seen some really good competition, like the University of Richmond, Rutgers this year. So we know that this team's tested. The Dukes are really going to have to put together a full 40 minutes, I think, on Saturday and Sunday if these games are going to go the way we want them to go. Coach, head coach Mark Byington even said that we're still trying to find the right mix of being good for 40 whole minutes. Uh, we're still in that progression stage where we keep trying to get better and hopefully continues with all of these different contributions coming from different guys like Terrell Strickland, Bottom Morris, Jalen Hodge, obviously. So these games, like I know we've said it probably four times now, but I think these are some of the most exciting games on JMU's schedule right now. And I think they're going to be some of the most competitive. And I think they're going to be really high scoring as well. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head, really. It's it's all about kind of just putting it together for 40 minutes. And like you like you quoted Coach Byington, that is so crucial. And it's it's interesting to see that because there definitely have been moments in recent wins for JMU men's basketball where it does seem like they kind of go into a lull. So if as long as they keep working at that, continuing to mold the roster to best fit that kind of 40-minute game plan instead of having it kind of shut off for a few minutes, if they can put that together, then by all means, they can beat anyone in the CAA like they've proven. But that is a very important kind of puzzle that they that Coach Byington has to piece together, and it's it's a very difficult one too. But they've definitely had they'll definitely get the more chances to do it with a couple of series, assuming that they stay uh, scheduled at least. But they'll have a lot of chances to do that before uh, the CAA tournament. One hundred percent agree. The Dukes. I mean, this is like we said, this is just really exciting for them right now. They obviously have that offense first mentality going for them and hopefully they can just keep capitalizing on it i mean it's no small feat to win five in a row and to see if you go into this weekend you make that six in a row seven in a row you are in a great spot in the caa and the duke should be ready for that and obviously they're practicing had a game yesterday and i think that they're really excited obviously some home games too which is always huge thank you for listening to the jmu sports update podcast for tucker stunts i'm noah ziggler and we'll see you next week Thank you very much, gentlemen. Again, the Dukes at home this weekend in men's basketball against Hofstra. The JMU women scheduled to play at Hofstra this weekend, but as of yesterday, uh, that series was postponed. So the Dukes' next outing is scheduled for next Tuesday as of the uh, recording of this podcast. So next Tuesday, the 16th, the Dukes and UNCW at 3 o'clock at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. You can see that on Flow Hoops as well as listen to it on the JMU Glow Fiber broadcast network let's turn it to football now as the dukes open up their season a week from saturday at home against the eagles of moorhead state and just this week a couple of national polls released the dukes are number four on both the 2020-21 hero sports fcs preseason poll top 25 and the same for athlon sports a couple of dukes also named to preseason all-america squads offensive lineman liam fernato as well as defensive lineman Mike Green. The eight-game schedule this year features six games against Colonial Athletic Association foes, but only against three as the Dukes will face in a home-and-home series Elon, William & Mary, and the University of Richmond. And Carter Inslee joins us now. Last week he took a look at the first opponent the Dukes will face in CA play this year, Elon. This week he takes a look at the tribe of William & Mary. Welcome back to another installment of the James Madison Football Foes Preview. This is Carter Inslee, and in today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the second of JMU's three CAA opponents for the 2021 spring season, the William & Mary Tribe. 
The College of William and Mary, located in Williamsburg, Virginia, has a long-standing history with JMU. Due to the postponement of the fall season, 2020 became the first calendar year since 1981 that the two football teams did not play each other. However, in this unusual upcoming spring season, JMU is scheduled to play William and Mary twice, which will be the first time that's happened since 2004. The first game will be a home game for the Dukes, March 13th at Bridgeforth Stadium, and then just two weeks later they'll play again in Williamsburg this time on March 27th. It will be the 43rd and 44th matchups between the two teams. JMU leads the all-time series 25-17. Recently, the results have leaned heavily towards JMU, with the Dukes winning 8 of the last 10 matchups and each of the last 4. The last time these two teams played was October of 2019, when JMU went into Williamsburg and came away with a 38-10 victory. As mentioned earlier, this will be the first time that the Dukes and the Tribe will play twice in one season since 2004, and that 2004 season produced what is still probably the most notable matchup in this long series history, when JMU beat William & Mary 48-34 in the FCS semifinals and route to their first ever national championship. Now it's time to take a look at this William & Mary team and see how this season might compare to some of their recent ones. In 2019, the Tribe went 5-7 with their new head coach, Mike London, who was most notably the head coach at the University of Virginia from 2010 to 2015. William & Mary has a surprisingly rich history of high-profile football coaches that includes Mike Tomlin, Sean McDermott, and Joe Brady, all of whom either played or coached at William & Mary and are currently coaching in the NFL. Coach London spoke about the pride their school feels from so many well-known coaches having gone through their program. And you look at guys like Sean and Mike and Joe Brady, you know, and other, you know, Dan Quinn was an assistant coach here, even though he didn't go to school here. He was an assistant coach here. There's a Marv Levy, you know, you just go on and on and on. So uh, we're proud of it. We're going to embrace it. We're going to talk about it often. And uh, but uh, it is great to see those guys when they're, when they're competing at the highest level. Uh, that the announcers mentioned where they came from. The Tribe's 5-7 and seven record in 2019 was an improvement over the previous two seasons, but still not exactly where they want to be. They did finish the season strong, though, winning three of their final four games and defeating one of their main rivals, Richmond, to end the season. William & Mary hasn't had a winning record or made the FCS playoffs since 2015, and it hasn't had a regular season with double-digit wins since 2009. Coach London will be looking to build off of what the team started in his first season and will hope to get them back to winning ways. To help with that, he's brought in Christian Taylor, a former William & Mary quarterback, to be the team's new offensive coordinator. When you look back at the styles of offenses that he's been around, uh, we'll utilize the running game, obviously, but uh, motion shifts, multiple personnel groups, but all with the same concept of attacking the defense where there's uh, attacking the perimeter or attacking you know, between the tackles. The quarterback situation for William & Mary last season was a tricky one. Freshman Hollis Mathis and senior Kilton Anderson both got significant playing time, but neither one truly stood out, at least from a statistical standpoint. The Tribe were the worst passing offense in the CAA in 2019 by pretty much every metric. They ranked last in the conference in passing yards per game, total completions, and passing touchdowns, as only nine touchdowns came through the air for them. Kilton Anderson won't be back this year, so it looks like the Tribe will turn to Hollis Mathis to become their main man at quarterback in his sophomore season. Mathis had a disappointing 44% completion percentage in 2019, but his 14.1 yards per completion were second in the CAA. Mathis, as well as the rest of the team, will be relieved to know that both of their top two receivers from last year, Zach Burdick and Kane Everson, are back. 
Burdick and Everson racked up 655 and 585 receiving yards, respectively, and accounted for five of William and Mary's nine passing touchdowns. Burdick's 19.3 yards per reception also ranked third in the CAA. After ranking last in the CAA last year in time of possession, William and Mary will also want to work on holding on to the ball longer. One way they could do that is by pounding the ball with their run game. The Tribe's leading rusher from 2019, Owen Wright, is back for his junior season. He ran it 138 times in 2019 for 584 yards and 5 touchdowns. Interestingly, Wright finished second in total rushing attempts for the Tribe last season. The player with the most was none other than Hollis Mathis. Mathis ran the ball 141 times for 546 yards and 8 touchdowns. He actually ended the season with twice as many rushing touchdowns as passing touchdowns, showing off his dual-threat traits as a quarterback. On the other side of the ball, William & Mary's defense will look to do better this year after allowing 400 yards and 28 points per game last year. They bring back their leading tackler, junior linebacker Trey Watkins, but have lost some key players such as defensive backs Isaiah Laster and Corey Parker and linebacker Nate Atkins. The loss of Parker might especially be significant, as his 12 passes broken up ranked third in the CAA last year. The third phase of the game, special teams, will also be something that the Tribe want to improve on in this upcoming season. William and Mary made just 9 of their 19 field goals last year for a percentage of 47, which was second to last in the CAA. Jake Johnston was their lead field goal kicker, going 7 for 12, and Chris Hooper went 2 for 6. Hooper is gone, but Johnston returns for his junior season, so he'll be looking to increase his field goal accuracy. That concludes this episode of the JMU Football Foes Preview. It'll be interesting to see these two longtime rivals face off twice in one season, and again, the dates are March 13th at JMU and March 27th at William & Mary. We've still got one more JMU opponent to cover in this preview, so be on the lookout for the next episode. Thank you very much, Carter. And the 2021 fall season also released this week for JMU football. The Dukes will open up at home on September 4th against the same opponent. They'll open up again against this year, uh, this spring, to keep it straight, against Moorhead State. That's September the 4th. Then opening up CA play the next weekend, the Maine Black Bears will come down from Orno, Maine to face the Dukes on September the 11th. Then it's a very intriguing matchup as the Dukes will travel to Ogden, Utah to face the Wildcats of Weber State. That is September the 18th, the first of the two games of a home-and-home -home series. The Wildcats will return the favor in a regular season meeting. These programs have met twice previously in the very recent past, JMU winning in the 2017 FCS quarterfinals in dramatic fashion and in 2019 in the semifinals. Both those games played in Harrisonburg. And a couple of other programming notes for you involving football. We have announced the first two uh, television schedules for the first two games. The Dukes, in partnership with Learfield IMG College, uh, have unveiled regional television coverage. The Dukes against Moorhead State and the Dukes against Robert Morris. February the 20th and the 27th, both will air on NBC Sports Washington affiliates. It is NBC Sports Washington itself on the 20th and then NBC Sports Washington Plus on the 27th. On the 20th, I'll be joined by Carl Magenhofer, and on the 27th, I'll be joined in the broadcast booth by former JMU offensive lineman and former Pittsburgh Steeler Dorian Brooks. He's been in the booth with me a couple of years before. And Steve Buckhans is penciled in for the three home CA games at Bridge Four Stadium. Both those first two games, by the way, kick off at noon. And I need to throw out a congratulations to JMU football alumni Aaron Stenney, Josh Wells, and Earl Watford 
all earned Super Bowl rings this past Sunday. Stenny as a starter on the offensive line. He was the right guard for Tom Brady and company. Josh Wells, a reserve offensive lineman, also played in the ball game. Earl Watford was on the practice squad. So congratulations to those gentlemen. And uh, those are the first since 2018 when Richard Davis earned a Super Bowl ring with the Philadelphia Eagles. John DiFilippo was the uh, one of the assistant coaches working with uh, Carson Wentz at that time uh, with the Eagles. And it's the first time since Charles Haley started for the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl Thirty that a JMU alum started in a Super Bowl game. So that was 25 years ago. Stinney Wells and Wadford expand the list of former Dukes to win Super Bowls. D.J. Bryant was with the Baltimore Ravens in 2013. Charles Haley, of course, a five-time champion, uh, twice with San Francisco, three times in Dallas. And Gary Clark won Super Bowls in 1988 and 1992. He did so with the team which is currently known as the Washington football team. Another JMU sports schedule for this spring was released this week. It was the JMU women's golf schedule released by head coach Tommy Baker. The Dukes open up same weekend that football opens up, in fact, uh, February the 19th through the 21st, and uh, that'll start uh, three consecutive weeks as they are going to begin things with the Reynolds Lake Oconee Invitational. For full schedule details, I do invite you to visit jmusports.com. Well, Kayla Cooper-Williams finished up her JMU women's basketball career abruptly last year when the Dukes, uh, well, they were pulled off the court at Elon in uh, in their first game at the CA tournament. And, of course, we know much of the history about that. Well, Kayla has stuck around at JMU. She is still with the women's basketball program, taking graduate classes, and is serving as a graduate assistant coach. Allie Barefoot recently had a conversation with Cooper-Williams, and we want to share this with you today here on the JMU Sports Update podcast. Allie? Thanks for talking with me today, Kayla. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, for the past three years, I've had the opportunity to talk to you as a player, but now I get to talk to you as a coach. So what would you say has been the most surprising or the biggest adjustment to coaching the game you used to play? Um, I think the biggest adjustment is going into this role with the same team I used to play with, um, especially since a lot of the girls on the team last year you were my teammate and this year now I'm going into this role where I'm a staff member um I think this has been the biggest adjustment for me is just like finding the balance between you know keeping those relationships but also you know creating some kind of boundaries um yeah but that's been like the biggest hurdle I think for me to get over oh I I don't blame you and being able to to coach them, also being friends with these people and playing with them in the Convocation Center, but now playing and watching them in the new Atlantic Union Bank Center, what's your thought process been like in the new building, not necessarily as a player, but now just working in it and having that experience? Um, it, it's it's an, a beautiful arena. You know, I love the Convo. It was very um, intimate, um, but I will say this new arena is amazing. So just being able to see all of the the technology we have in the training room and, you know, just all of the things that they have at their advantage to use is just so amazing to be able to see it and just see how it's, like, helping them as players. And if you were still a player, what would you, you utilize the most in the Atlantic Union Bank Center? What's your favorite feature? Definitely the training room. I love the training room. I stay in the training room now. Even, like, you know, I go in there, I'm like, ah, my legs are a little sore from a, a workout or, you know, I still practice with them from time to time. 
So after practices or getting ready to practice with them, going in there and using some of the – playing with some of the toys has been – I would definitely uh, like to stay in there. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. You've definitely earned some training time in that room. But now – you assist the post players in individual workouts, like you said, and got to use that training room afterwards. But has there been anything specific your group of girls have been working on since the beginning of the season or throughout the season? And do you put them through any of the drills that you used to go through when you were a player? Um, definitely do, just because, you know, playing here and, you know, working with Cass, I know a lot of the things that he wants. Um, sometimes he'll say things that I'm like, I was already thinking it before you said it because I know what he wants. So definitely when I'm working them out, I think about the things that we did and kind of work them into a way that it works for whoever we're working um, with. Um, a lot of times when I'm working them out, the first thing I think is, like, well, what would Cass have them do? Um, especially, like, for myself as I, like, figure out, you know, what kind of drills I might want to use as I become an actual coach. Um, I definitely do put them through a lot of the same things. We work on a lot of uh, – Defense stuff, uh, this week we've definitely been working a lot on um, defense and stances and uh, just making sure that we're focusing on, you know, sometimes some of the little things because, you know, getting shots and everything too, that's important. But um, as you all know, I'm I'm very big on defense, so we definitely have been working on that a lot. And your relationship with Cass, but now also your relationship with Coach O'Regan. And you said it was kind of an adjustment to look at your – teammates like Kiki Jefferson and Maddie Green and look to them now as as you're their coach but how has your transition been with coach O'Regan instead of you know now he's not my coach now he's my colleague um I think it's a still kind of a similar relationship um I will say like in meetings it kind of kind of like empowered me to like speak up um and not be silent because you know just letting me know that my opinion is like uh, wanted. Um, so I would say that I would say in a way though, it kind of helps that he was my coach. Um, just because sometimes when I'm talking, I'm talking from the viewpoint of someone who has played with for him or someone who has been on the team with these girls. And, uh, I think that that's a helpful point of view that we have now. Um, but I think it, in some ways it's been similar just in that instance because I have still played for him so there still are those habits there still are those um some of those things are like hard to break but I definitely think um he's definitely empowered me to to be more vocal um even in practice and in meetings everything so We've definitely made a great name for yourself in the JMU purple and gold but that is all I have for you today coach Cooper Williams thank you so much for talking to me no problem. Thank you for having me. JMU women's basketball graduate assistant coach in her first season with the Dukes in that capacity, Kayla Cooper-Williams. Last year, we were talking about her blocking shots and climbing up and setting the all-time record for block shots in JMU women's basketball history. And my thanks to her and to Allie Barefoot for their time and contribution to today's JMU Sports Update podcast. And the final segment on today's podcast takes us to JMU men's soccer. A couple of weeks ago, the program set history as the Dukes had not one but two players selected in the MLS Super Draft. Tom Judge was selected 36 overall by Nashville SC, and T.J. Bush, the Dukes goalkeeper, was selected 80th overall by Seattle Sounders FC. Student Charles Vera, who is a member of the JMU Broadcast Services team, 
Well, he caught up with uh, Mr. Judge. He also talked to T.J. Bush, and today we'll share the interview between Charles and Tom Judge. Um, welcome to today's interview. I'm Charles Vera, and I am with Tom Judge, defender for the JMU men's soccer team. Thank you for being part of this interview, Tom. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be and, here. Yeah, and also congratulations for being drafted to the MLS. That's, that's huge. Thank you. Um, so my first question is, what did you do during quarantine to stay fit and to maintain your technical skills? Um, so a big thing I did since I was at home, uh, I, I was trying to kind of find other players in the area to play with, but, um, you know, it, it was obviously it's kind of hard to get a bunch of people together to play, especially when we're all quarantining. Um, so the big thing mm -hmm. I did was I, I have a rebounder um, that I basically set up in my garage uh, and kind mm -hmm. of cleared stuff out of the way. So asked my parents nicely if they could leave the car outside. Uh, and that's where I kind of just did all kinds of uh, footwork stuff, like ball skills, um, and just trying to work on, like, that part of my game since it was pretty easy to do, like, in the garage and the space I had. Um, and yeah. obviously it, it was hard to kind of get out and play with other people, so. Where were you and what happened when you got the call from Nashville to tell you that you were drafted? Um, yeah, I was I was here at JMU in my uh, in my apartment. I was watching with my roommates, uh, and honestly, I I saw it up on the screen. Um, we we had the like live updating footage uh, going on the on our TV, um, so I saw it mm -hmm. on there. And then right after I saw my name pop up, uh, I got a call from uh, the GM Mike Jacobs, um, just congratulating mm -hmm. me. Um, kind of you know it was definitely a quite a surreal moment um just being super excited with everyone and then getting a real mm -hmm. quick introduction with the gm and then uh he introduced me to the head coach as well real quick so it was really cool yeah it must be nice you know like they were saying that they had three names on the board and your name was one of them and they were really happy and they couldn't believe that they managed to get all three names like they really wanted you on the team so did that give you like a huge boost of confidence about like how you're feeling and everything um, yeah, I had I had kind of heard that from them that they had some interest uh, beforehand, um, and I think it's mm -hmm. it's pretty it was pretty cool to see kind of that you know how much of an interest that was and that the fact that they did end up uh, drafting me, uh, you know definitely definitely in that moment super excited but also kind of the the little bit of reassurance that like yeah I I made it here. Um, and now mm -hmm. there's still a lot to go, but, you know, I just got to keep working, so. And in your game, it looks like you like to be an attacking defender. You like to do overlaps, like to carry the ball. So do you hope that you can continue this for Nashville? Like, have they told you anything about your style of play? Um, not really too much, but I, I believe that kind of any, any attack or any outside back that's going to be kind of really effective at the next level has to have – uh, a lot of attacking elements in their game. Um, kind of the, the minimum requirements are that you, you know, you do all, everything right on defense and then kind of the next step is um, in, integrating like the, the offensive part of the side of the ball um, kind of into that. So, yeah, I definitely think um, I'll, I'll continue to try to play my game the same way uh, and improve it um, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So then, who's your favorite soccer player? Uh, right now, it's Alfonso Davies. Mm -hmm. 
um, who's the mm-hmm. left back for Bayern Munich. Um, and uh, uh-huh. just watching him play recently, um, kind of watching the journey he's gone through. Um, uh-huh. And also the fact that I, I do think he, I, I try to play a lot like he does, um, that, that attacking mm-hmm. style. Um, really kind of explosive and more athletic than uh, than anything else. So between those two, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he's really fun to watch. Yeah, he was a surprise, honestly. It's like when they Brian Munich changed him from left wing to left back, that was a really smart yeah. move because he he's been deadly in that spot. All right, so what is your long term goal as a professional soccer player? Unfortunately, not a professional soccer player yet, but uh, honestly, I just oh, want yeah. to do. <laughs> Really well, really well this this spring. Uh, I I hope that mm-hmm. you know while while I'm still here at JMU, um, you know we can continue on the success that we've had, um, mm-hmm. and and win another CAA championship and win you know how, however far we can go in the the tournament if there is one. Um, uh, but then mm-hmm. uh, you know I I'd like to be able to play for as long as I can. You know I I've been playing yeah. soccer. Uh, for as long as I can remember, and mm-hmm. I've only loved it more and more. So as long as I can continue doing that, I think I'll be happy. Uh, so how did you know that you wanted to continue with soccer, like in the college level and everything? Um, I think a big part of it kind of at first for me was uh, a lot of the teammates I had when I got here at JMU. Mm-hmm. Um, I, didn't, I played the club, and I wasn't very heavily recruited at all. So I didn't really know mm-hmm. kind of what the future had in store for me um, with soccer, um, but kind of learning from the guys that I, I met when I first got here uh, and, and just mm-hmm. developing with them and hearing kind of the, the things they had to say about me and, you know, what I could potentially do. I think that was a big, uh, big part in kind of pushing me and inspiring me to kind of, you know, put, put my all into it and see, see kind of where it could take me. Um, do you know Paolo Maldini, the AC Milan player? Yes, yes, yes. So what do you think of his quote when he said, "I have to, if I have to make a tackle, then I have already made a mistake? Um, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a big way uh, I try to play. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, I, my main goal is if, if, basically if I've let anyone I'm, I'm defending touch the ball, like and mm-hmm. I haven't intercepted it or I haven't cut them off to the point where there's no option to get the ball to them, um, then I that's already, you know, you've made a mistake. Uh, and obviously you mm-hmm. can try and recover from that, but a, a big thing is trying to basically the best way to play defense on someone is, you know, completely take them out of the game. If they don't touch the ball, then then there's no way mm-hmm. they can really hurt you. So uh, I, no, yeah. I pretty much uh, completely agree with uh, that quote. I've definitely heard that before. Yeah, it's a very nice quote for defenders to to listen to. And now, what do you think is the most important characteristic as a defender? I think there's a lot of important ones, but I I think uh, probably a big one is probably positioning yourself uh, in a way that you're able to cut off people, you're able to intercept passes, um, just just putting yourself in a in the right position to kind of succeed, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if, if you're close to a close to an attacker, people aren't going to play them the ball. If you're cutting off the right angles, if you're 
pinching in when you're supposed to, doing the right things. Um, you, you help not only yourself out uh, on the defensive side, but, you know, the other center back that you're next to, um, the defensive mm-hmm. bid, uh, it, all, it all comes together. What is your hype song before a game? Is there a song that you listen to to get yourself all ready for that game? Uh, honestly, no. I actually listen to very calm music before games usually. Uh, oh, yeah. More like R&B or slower rap. Uh, I don't really listen to mm-hmm. so music in general. That's too like too hype, I guess. Uh, that's just mm-hmm. not not my not my thing. But I don't really have a oh, okay. specific song. I usually just uh, just switch it up. But okay, so you're more of the calm music person. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that's cool. <laughs> So do you have any tips or words of advice for younger soccer players who dream to play in MLS one day or just in college level? Uh, I think, especially for the college level, um, no matter how good you think you are or aren't, um, just going out to practice each day uh, and and trying to get better, trying to learn from the people around you. Um, There's always going to be someone who you can learn something from, um, no matter, you know, how big or small it is. Uh, and I mm-hmm. also think, especially in college, taking advantage of kind of the experiences that other people have had. Um, I had the great opportunity of playing with a lot of older guys who are foreign. Um, and, you know, they had a lot more soccer experience than me. Um, and just, just kind of trying to soak in everything from them that I could while they were here, um, I think really helped me. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. So thank you for your time and go look for this season and on your career. Thank you very much. And, and yeah, thank you. Hopefully we, uh, we're starting here pretty soon. So hopefully everything goes well. He is Tom Judge, interviewed by Charles Vera on this occasion. My thanks to both those gentlemen for their time and contribution. And thanks to you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed our program today. We do plan to have them each and every week. A lot of stuff getting ready to happen this spring, but we'll do our best to keep up with all the activities involving the Dukes. I'm Kurt Dudley, and have a great purple and gold day. The JMU Sports Podcast is presented by United Bank and is a production of JMU Athletics Broadcast Services, a part of JMU Athletics Communications. Go Dukes!